Hey, Louis. Hey, Gavin. How are you doing? I'm doing so great. I am are you? excited. <laughs> are, are, are you like? Are you questioning? Are you though? I mean, what's the truth? You look good, but but what lies beneath? <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Like, there's just like demons bubbling up. <laughs> Okay. Anyways, you guys didn't come here for this. You came here for the mixed reviews. Thank you guys so much for listening. Absolutely. We're back, back, back again. Uh, we are a podcast in which we take a film subject, such as an actor, a director, or a mini genre, and we talk about what we like, and we talk about what we don't like, and then we, you know, we mix some reviews. What did someone say that we essentially are doing book reports of, of yes. people or yeah. movie genres? So, somebody said that to my face. To your face. And they, were, they basically just called me a nerd. <laughs> like, and um, thank you, nerds, for joining us. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Before we get into this week's episode, we have to admit that we are not alone. We are not alone. Yes, exactly. There's a stranger in the house. Exactly. Is it ghosts? Are we the ghosts? Uh, Who knows? Who who knows? But joining us today, all the way from the land down under, is Glenn Dunks. Hello, boys. How are you? Good. How are you? I am great. Now, Glenn, I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself. We go back a long time at this point, like maybe five, almost five years. You used to live in New York and we used to play on rival trivia teams. Oh my God, rivals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you didn't hear the snapping when he first contacted. <laughs> that's uh, that's the way we rumble. Um, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself because you've been doing all sorts of amazing, crazy things out in Australia. And I want you to, you know, give us a bio. Tell the people. Well, um, first, yes, I must say, yeah, I, I do like your commitment to making this podcast a sort of reunion for the Videology <laughs> Movie Trivia Days. It's uh, oh my God. between myself Rest in peace, and videology. Yeah. Dan Mecker and, you know, Joel and... Joe and Christy, everyone. It's, yeah, it's, quite, it's quite wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I am a, well, nowadays I am a part-time film critic. Um, I did used to live in New York, which is where I knew Gavin. Um, and, you know, as, as a lot of people who live in New York do for us, two or three years they eventually got broke and then they uh moved away and so now and now i have a uh, wonderful nine to five day job that pays me an actual living wage wow. isn't that wonderful I, what is that yeah i'm on my way i'm, on, I'm <laughs> year three is coming up for me and i'm like hmm the clock is ticking yes it's a uh, pretty great um uh, <laughs> but yeah so i am indeed australian uh, from a from melbourne a uh, self-identifying kid maniac. Kid maniac. Yes, that's. That, I believe that's the term that we coined for ourselves. Wow, <laughs> love that. I don't know if you guys have guessed it already. Today we're talking about Nicole Kidman. Absolutely. Before we get into that, though, uh, I want to talk about uh, some old business. Last episode we talked about '90s superhero movies, excluding Marvel and DC. Uh, we asked you guys to go on Twitter and to vote for what your favorite uh, movie was. Um, and here are the results. We got The Crow, which was um, our guest John's pick, came at 10%. Darkman, my pick, came in at 14%. Other also came in at 14%. And damn, 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 Gavin's pick, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, coming in at 62%. That's dominating the field. Yeah, yeah, polls don't lie. Ever. Just like Ever. these hips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what was cool is we did get a variety of, of other requests in others. Yep. Uh, I believe we got a vote for The Shadow. We got uh, a chastise for, mm-hmm. our, for our negative talk, which, by the way, I was very positive. Gavin about. likes Rocketman. I and do. That's... Rocketeer. Rocketeer. <laughs> Rocketman Murr. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Different movie. Yeah. The Rocketeer. I'm and, sorry. I like the poster. And, um, <laughs> and our listener, Jane, first of all, commented with Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and I can't disagree with her. That's, that's a great movie. A great movie. Excellent. 
Um, but when we were like, oh, it's gotta, it can't be that, she chose Tank Girl. Yeah, yes. Um, real quick, too, speaking of, it came at a perfect time. There's been some development on the Tank Girl front of what, all places. Really? Uh, Margot Robbie's film company, uh, Lucky <coughs> Chap Entertainment just optioned it uh, to star. Oh, and, yeah. and a day after, it was announced that she optioned it. Uh, they already got a director, Miles Jorish Pe- Periafitz. That's right. Um, who uh, just did a film with her anyways. So I feel like Tank Girl and Margot Robbie, yeah. a match made in heaven. Like, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't. Will she it. get to keep her Australian accent? I That's hope what so. I, I, yeah. I hope it's set in Australia still. Absolutely. We want to know. Glenn and the Australians <laughs> yeah. want to know. Yes. It's, it's funny because... It's the question on everyone's lips in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because the the where I'm getting this news from is Dark Horizons, which has been my favorite film gossip site since like I was 12 years old, and it's yep. run by Australian Garth Franklin. There you so. go. Yes, uh, Glenn, he, do, he's a friend of mine. Is he really? So, Fuck you. Yes, yes. What? Gavin's like, I'm on my way. Yeah, he lives in a different city, but look, Australia is a small country. You <laughs> famously, famously small. I will say though, if um. If you don't mind, I wanted to jump back to the drag episode very quickly. Oh, great. Uh, Please, please. Because um, this weekend, I am actually going away on a... um, on a weekend uh, trip with my friends, and we're going to the town of Broken Hill, which is where they filmed <gasps> Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh my god! Or parts of it, anyway. The, um, <laughs> wow. The, 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 the scene where it ends with them with their bus being spray painted with yeah. um, a particularly nasty. Oh my god! Uh, expression on it. Yes. So they hold a drag festival there every year. Called Broken Heel. Can I you am, believe it? I, it's I, amazing. I cannot believe this is like a yeah. gay journey to like <laughs> I don't know the, the yeah. wellspring. It's like the lost land of El Dorado, but for gays. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> I'm incredibly jealous. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm going to a full on like going out to the desert. Oh, I'm going to god. the desert <laughs> to watch drag queens. This is great. That will be very fun. But I'm very eager to talk about. Um, uh, Speaking of videology trivia, uh, talking about a person who I did a guest round of trivia about. Were you there that night, Gavin? I, of course I was. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how, I don't remember how well you did, but. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. As always. Good. good <laughs> well, it's been good. so nice having you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited. Clearly, we have a live Australian. Yes, absolutely. I, I do want to say this uh, real quick. Uh, you pitched us Nicole Kidman. Yes. I, I don't know if you were serious about pitching us Nicole Kidman, but I was instantly like, yes. Um, because I do want to say that there is no other podcast out there that's covering Nicole Kidman ever. at all. Ever. ever. Never. No. We're the first ones hasn't, and just never. I'm so happened. glad we're pioneers. Yeah. yeah. Glad that, that there's not an entire podcast about her. Right. Anyways. So crazy. <laughs> you're, you're heroes. Yes. You are heroes. Yeah. Um, you're doing the Lord's work. But I, I want to know... Since you picked Nicole Kidman, uh, give us give us a little bit about your Kidmania. Yeah. The idea, I mean, it was half joking, but also I did kind of want it to be half serious um, <laughs> about being on this podcast because I did one of those BuzzFeed quizzes where you just tick the box of all the movies of a certain actor that you've seen. And it turned out that I'd seen like a solid... Like, 90% of her movies. Wow. And I was wondering what on earth could get me to watch something like The Human Stain. And it turned out it was this <laughs> podcast. And same here girl, we are. same. <laughs> and here we are. Um, so yeah, uh, I feel like I've must have always 
liked her. She being an Australian actress, she's kind of always been in the news, maybe a bit more than in America, just by pure virtue of being one of the first Australian stars to become big in America. Uh, and the whole thing with Tom Cruise obviously made them uh, paparazzi and gossip column uh, TV news fodder. I mean, I loved movies like To Die For and uh, all of those, but I think it wasn't until Moulin Rouge uh, that, uh, which I saw eight times. Sounds about um, right. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, it really does, doesn't it? It says a lot. Um, <laughs> that uh, I became a full-on kid maniac. <laughs> and it's just it's just a word I just drop into sentences. There you go. Every day. It's into my everyday language. Um, yeah, and then I was I would try I would try and see everything she did. Um, be, living in. Um, the place that I did, a town called Geelong, which is large, but not large enough to get movies like Dogville. Um, I would have to travel. That's actually on the sign as you're entering Geelong. Yeah. It's like not big <laughs> enough for Dogville. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Should be. Um, so I would have to travel up to Melbourne to see these movies. Um, and eventually she, she just started making so many of them that you kind of just couldn't avoid them. And... Uh, she she is a prolific one, isn't she? She is. Oh my god, yes. This was a challenging episode, just yeah. as far as like volume. I'm very happy you pitched this. I, I've been wanting to do a Nicole Kidman episode probably. I think she was on our original list. She was on our original list. I think we were both really intimidated to do it. Yeah. So it was good to like kind of get a tag team person in here to kind of help cover any spots that we miss um, and give us some more like context of her super just like ascendant star and... Um, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. So why don't we get into our rewind? Nicole Kimmon was born on June 20th, 1967, making her 52 years old. Jennifer Lopez is 50. Nicole Kimmon's 52. Mm-hmm. I never would have like thought of them as like, uh, you know, on the same level or like in the same, you know, but um, they, they truly are like they... But, I mean, since she's 52 and Jennifer Lopez is 50, she's old enough to play her mom in a movie. There you go. That's that's how that works. (laughs) Um, Coming next year, Hustlers 2, Mom's Revenge. Australian national. Her parents are both Australian. Not born in Australia. Not born in Australia. Our second person in, like, a couple of episodes. Yeah. Born in Hawaii. Hawaii, exactly. Her mother, Janelle Ann, uh, was a nursing instructor, and Anthony Kidman uh, was her father. Uh, he was a biochemist and a clinical psychologist and author, um, and he died of a heart attack in Singapore at yeah. the age of 75. They traveled a lot. So they, they were students in Hawaii yes. when they had Nicole. They were there for a couple years. Yeah. And then went... Pro- protesting to- the Vietnam War, too, just being real cool. Well, they moved to D.C. Right. And then so she... And that's where they were protesting the war. So they didn't move back to Australia until she was, like, four. She uh, grew up in Sydney and attended Lane Cove Public School and North Sydney Girls High School. Um, she had been in ballet since she was three years old. Yeah. Um, which is actually... That sounds crazy for most people. Pretty normal. I actually started taking dance at three. Famously. Famously, yeah, famously a dancer. Um, I did tap and jazz from the time I was three until the time I was 18. And then you became a dancer for money. Yeah, no, then I gained weight. And that's the... Um, and Nicole Kidman, and I love this, and I think it says so much about her, and I think I'm going to come back to this. Nicole Kidman says that one of her biggest inspirations in all of acting was seeing Margaret Hamilton play the Wicked Witch of the West yeah. in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, love that. Yeah. 
That's so fucking cool. That's so fucking cool. You know, that like J- Jennifer Lopez, like Jennifer Lopez in that article is all like talking about these bombshells. And yeah. Nicole Kidman's like, I want to be the witch. <laughs> well, because she famously says that she's very shy. She's very shy. She's so shy. All of her interviews when she talks, it's like a little songbird, a little, <laughs> she's, she speaks from the throat. <laughs> um, yeah, I found so many interviews with her where she talks about that. Um, she says she has a stutter as a kid that she slowly got, got over, but she won't, she said she won't even like go to a party by herself. I was invited to a party even last week and, and they said, you know, and just come along. And I was like, uh, well, I don't think I can just show up by myself. And I called a friend and said, are you going to go? And she said, oh, no, I'm too busy. And I thought, well, then I'm not going. I couldn't ever just walk into a room by myself. And, yeah, I, but that's just who I am. And, I, and I'm much better than I used to be. There were times when I was deeply unhappy as a child just with who I was. I think a lot of children are like that. I hated walking on the school bus, remember? The school bus, you'd have to get on and walk down the aisle and everyone would stare. <laughs> and that, to me, I mean, it's still the equivalent. You never change from what you were no. at school. All of those things that you still that you had going on at school, just you carry them with you. She initially studied acting at the Phillips Street Theatre in Sydney. That's where she met Naomi Watts. Um, they, attended the, yeah, they attended the same high school. Um you know, she took up drama, mime, and performing into her teens. But this is my favorite fun little fact. She is so Irish and Scottish in yeah. heritage that her skin is so white yeah. that she can't be outside. So she, she would perform she would, in the hallways? Yeah, she right? would perform in the hallways of the school. But also, my my other fun thing about that is me just imagining that, like... Australian acting school takes place all outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, go outside, kids. Yeah. Do Hamlet. She also said that, like, when she was really young, she was, like, in mime class. And her parents her parents are not theater people at all. And they were like, our kid's a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah. She's wanted to be an actor from almost, almost as long as I can remember. Um, Nicole's father, psychologist age, she, uh, Dr. Anthony Kidman, and her mother, Janelle. Yeah. Yeah. Invitations would be issued, neighbourhood children Children's. would sort of be cashiered into roles. Nicole would be the star, the producer, the director. Yeah. Get very, very upset if anyone deviated from her instructions. And, but and she was always like that a bit. She was a bossy bit. She has mentioned, you know, her parents are academics um, and they're very practical. And so this school was, as as you mentioned, Glenn, Australia is very small country. Very small. Um, tiny. It's absolutely s- tiny. Super tiny um, and not full of dangerous animals. Um, <laughs> not and, at all. Uh, but they would make her go to these acting classes on her own. She would have to go and catch a bus. I would catch uh, two buses and a train to get to a Saturday morning class when I was that age because my parents wouldn't drive me because they had this thing of, if you want to do something, then you have to want to do it. We're not making it easy for you to get to do it. So it ha- so I, I would get up, I'd set my alarm and I'd get up and I'd catch the trains and the bus and I'd be like, okay, I'm there. But I would look at the timetable on the, but I would get to that drama class and I would spend Saturday there. And it, all my friends would be at the beach or playing, but I just wanted to be in the theater. And she rode her kangaroo to class every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> Do you, see, you joke. But people, people, think, people will think you're serious. <laughs> We've been living that rumor down for decades. I always wanted to act. I was one of those um, children that just knew what I wanted to do. Um, and that was from uh, much earlier than 16. I actually got my first job when I was 14. Wow, in Australia. Yeah, mm. and that was me sort of 
um, looking in the phone book, um, finding an agent, calling them up, <laughs> and um, saying, I'm a kid who'd like to be, in, be an actor. Wow. And strangely enough, one of the, the agents, who was a woman, an older woman, June Can, said, come in, and, um, and she put me on the books. Well, I didn't come from a family of actors. I came from a fam family of academics, and so they were sort of a bit thrown by that and didn't quite know what to do with it. But my mother was always... Um, she, she always would say, it's a wonderful thing for a person to have a passion and to know what they want to do. And you always knew you wanted to do Yeah, and to stand in front of that or to try and diminish that or change that, she felt was wrong. In 1983, uh, at, the, at the young age of 16, she makes her film debut uh, in the remake of the Australian holiday movie, Bush Christmas. Setting the, the scene, she's 16 and Artie is breaking through oh, yeah. in Australia. And the funny thing is, is like that leads to TV series roles. She's... Uh, starts the same year on Five Mile Creek. Usually when we talk about an actress, we always talk about how they take a hiatus at some point in their career. Uh -huh. Her starts real young. Okay. She takes a hiatus <laughs> almost immediately. Her mother's diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, that's right. And she decides to, uh, to take it up for herself to start learning massage therapy to help her mother out. Wow. And I was just like, of course. What? I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. that's amazing. Nicole Kidman would. Her mother gets better. Obviously, she's still with us, I believe. Yeah. But her big breakthrough Australian film is BMX Bandits. Have you not seen it? No. Oh, I, wow. Yeah. You okay. have to. I, yeah, I'm, you, I'm being chastised. It. Yeah, yeah. I'm with Glenn. I watched it for this episode, but I've been meaning to see it for years. And I got to say, she's a fucking star okay. from the jump. Cool. Like, she, like, there's scenes in that movie where she has to deliver monologues, and it's funny, because there's one scene where she specifically, she she's a little bit of a damsel uh, in one scene. She gets kidnapped by the bad guys, and she's annoying them as they're, like, trying to bring her back. And basically, she's trying to distract them, and it's so good. This reminds me of a film I once saw. Uh, kiss the butt off my tire lever or something. Kiss my what? Anyway, it was about this crazy with an axe who was driving this busload of tourists, you know. By the time he finished with them, nobody needed a return ticket. Except this one girl he's mad about. So, she says no when he asks for a hand in marriage. Oh, which is a mistake. Because he takes it anyway. And keeps it in a box. Just like that one. Look, would you shut up? I'm trying to concentrate. It's making me sick, but God, I really want to hear the end. It's one of those iconic... Australian 80s films it's not great obviously no, like no. It's, it's it's a kids movie but it's just a film that you know if you wanted to make a little time capsule for like the mid 80s Australia that would be in it everyone knows it I think I don't yeah. know how many people have actually seen it uh, but yeah I think it's really uh, a really fun movie and as you say she just sort of comes out as a superstar. It actually plays well into what her persona was at this time of her career, which was some, somewhat tomboyish. Yeah. And, and older than uh, she actually was. I think she's... I read somewhere that after BMX Bandit, she started looking for more mature roles because she felt, even though she wasn't uh, old enough for certain roles, she felt she actually had the the maturity, the emotional maturity, I guess the psychological maturity to play roles. And so that's sort of why in these early, this early part of her career, she does play, like, I mean, Dead Calm, which yeah. we'll get to obviously soon. She's 
clearly much younger than Sam Neill, but it right. almost doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, she. I I like looked up the age difference, and I was like, oh, there's 20 years between them, and it I didn't did it, not care. I famously am right. always like wary of those type of things, but when I watched Deadcom, I it really didn't come to my mind at yeah. all because that movie is is one of those movies from the 90s that just like. You know, they don't make them anymore. Those movies are fully now Netflix movies or like, yeah. you know, TNT movies. Um, but it's like a tiny little movie, but like, it's really fucking good. It's like a thriller without being gross. Yeah. Yeah. I like that movie a lot. Well, I think it's, uh, it's directed by Philip Noyce, who yeah. I believe his most recent work is that Renee Zellweger What If series on Netflix. Uh, there we go. <laughs> what did I say? I what he, did I say? I think he made that. So I, yeah, that's a very good observation and and that's still early on in her career we basically just talked about deadcom but real quick i do want to say you know she still she does a lot of soap operas she did wind rider which plays into what you're talking about about taking yep. more adult roles that's 86 so she would have been 19 and that movie is racy and that's what it's like known for oh, right right right. as you mentioned in uh 89 she does deadcom with sam neill and that really is what gets her noticed in the hollywood realm yeah because it made a lot of money. Yeah. And so that movie, like, really is what put her on the map for yeah. Hollywood. Which is insane, though, because I also read that when she came to America, they were like, who is this nobody? And she was like, no, I've worked a lot in Australia. Right. And they yeah. were like, that means nothing. Right. But then she comes to America, and she meets a charming little devil named Tom Cruise. Emphasis on little. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Look, I, I think we can get away with the jokes about Tom Cruise. Oh, absolutely. He's, he deserves them. He deserves them. Um, <laughs> and Well, my understanding was that he saw Dead Calm and wanted her for Days of Thunder. Yes. And then it was during the production of that movie that they began a, a romance. Days of Thunder is a car racing movie. Um, it's directed by Tony Scott, and that's maybe my favorite thing about it, is that Tony Scott directed it. It's very, like, men, cars, yeah. whatever, fuck you, man. Like, it's that. But she's allowed to have her hair in that movie. And her accent. And her accent. And both are glorious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Glenn, I'm assuming you've seen Days of Thunder at some point in time. This was actually one of the few that I had not seen, and so I watched, uh, watched it for this podcast, oh. and... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there it was, and there it was. Uh, listen, I think she's you, actually quite good for what it's worth. Yeah, she and she absolutely is. Uh, I, but I will say, like, if you came to this podcast expecting us to talk about Days of Thunder, I don't <laughs> think so, honey. <laughs> yeah, it ain't happening. <laughs> Um, so in 1991, she co-stars uh, with Friends, Thandie Newton, and Naomi Watts yeah. uh, in Australian independent film Flirting. Uh, but I think it's funny that, like, that's when she's playing a high school girl. Yeah, I know, God. Because <laughs> it's like, at that point, she's fully, like, mid-20s. Well, like, she's doing the full J-Law. Yeah. Like, you know, Jennifer Lawrence famously playing, like, 45-year-old woman with 10,000 children. Yeah, exactly what Absolutely. Nicole Kidman was doing. Um, um, I love flirting. Just uh, by the way, I think it's really great. It's actually a sequel to oh, um, to an earlier film called The Year My Voice Broke. Uh, but I think yeah, Nicole Kidman is really great in that one too. She's it's sort of her Regina George Ooh, uh, style moment. Yes, and yeah, I, she gets to work with Naomi, which is I think the only yeah a rarity yeah only movie. Were you seeing Danny Embling? I heard about his fight. It sounded awful. Told Jock Blair what I thought of him for letting it happen. I also told another friend of mine to keep an eye on Danny. He can look after himself. Anyway, 
shouldn't be running off in the middle of the night to see you. You could be picked up by the police. End up being expelled. So that movie wins the Australian Film Institute Award for Best Film, which is amazing, uh, especially so early on in her career. And so the next year, you know, she she gets a, a, another big Hollywood film, Billy Bathgate, which I watched for the Stanley Tucci episode, and I didn't, I didn't feel like rewatching. I didn't watch it. Um, but I will, um, I will say the thing I remember the most about it was she was my favorite part. So by this time also, she's already married to Tom Cruise, right? Yes. She has moved to America. I read that she said, you know, I did my, I did uh, Days of Thunder. I fell in love. I moved to America. They got married pretty quickly, I think, in Colorado. Um, and so, like, she fully now is in the throes of, like, okay, time to make America happen. And also, I mean, they were the original, um, or not original, but, like, when we think about, like, big famous movie couples, like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, like, right. they were it before them. This full-on gossip Hollywood magnets. Then in 92, she and Tom Cruise reteam with each other for Far and Away, the Ron Howard film. That's also when they adopted their first child, Isabella Jane Cruise. Um, their son, Connor uh, Anthony, is uh, 1995, which is shortly thereafter. But this is, that's really early. I mean, I, guys, <laughs> I yeah, guys, I mean, I don't, I don't have kids, but I think that's real early on in a marriage to start yeah. like having kids. Yeah, I've always it's always been kind of curious because her parents, as you explained at the start, like they were they moved around a lot. They were they seemed maybe a bit more casual as parents, um, letting her sort of do whatever she wanted. And then she went and got married very early, had adopted children very early, almost like some sort of twist on rebellion. Right. Um, but uh, can we talk about Far and Away? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. I didn't know um, this was a Ron Howard movie. I was like, Ron, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that was from his period of, well, I guess it's still going, but like the first period <laughs> of him trying to be a serious, yeah, yeah, yeah. super serious filmmaker. But it's wild because like there's still like some of that like weird Ron Howard humor here and there into it. I guess all I can say is that um, Tom Cruise did his best with that accent, okay? <laughs> he did his best. <laughs> That was a terrible accent. What are you talking about? I'm going there. I'm going to have a place of my own. And I will have horses on it, and I will raise them, and I will ride them any way I please. What do you need more land for? You're on half of Ireland. This is this. The Tokachar people did. I didn't take it. You just live here, all fancied up on rent. Broken backs. Boy. You said you wanted land. If that's what you want, then come with me. That is the most basic bargain store Irish accent I have heard in a very What do you mean? Just me time. saying da is not good enough? Me da. <laughs> I will say uh, in this movie, I felt like I think her and Tom Cruise have good enough chemistry in most of the movies they make together. Yeah. In this one, I really didn't. I mean, maybe that's part of it. And, and this was the romance epic. Yeah. Like the other movies that they made, like Days of Thunder, it's like hot and yeah. like, you know, young, young love. And then Eyes Wide Shut, it's like Sex. sexy, you know, but this is supposed to be the one that's like love. Yeah. And it's just like, where? <laughs> one of the really um, peculiar things about Nicole's career is that, you know, you hear a lot in, particularly in America and in Hollywood, about how after a certain age, there aren't enough roles for women. But Nicole's career is sort of the inverse of that, where you look at the 
when she moves to America, like the first five, six years are pretty barren in terms of quality yeah, yeah. roles. Whereas in her late, uh, in like the last two decades, uh, since she turned 30, she's been just like kicking goals and making masterpieces. Yeah, it's feast. Yeah. yeah. She says that, I mean, I mean, I don't know how close we are, but like she says that her career doesn't really take off until after she divorces Tom yeah, Cruise. Absolutely. To round out the early part of the 90s, you know, she then does Malice with Alec Baldwin and My Life with Michael Keaton. I did just want to mention Malice. Uh, it's not great, but it's got that it great does, line. It's got- it does have that great line, which I, when I watched it about maybe two years ago or a year ago for the first time, I made a gif out of this Excellent. one great line because it's so good. He is a little fucking troll who deserves to be put out of his misery for fucking up my life. Uh, How great is that? So good. So good. I can't believe that tweet has not, uh, that uh, gif has not gone viral. It needs to. Now it's going to happen. Now it's going to happen. You're speaking it into thought, into reality. (laughs) 95 is a big year for her. The two films she makes in 95 are Batman Forever and To Die For. Two films that could not be more different. One is very not gay. The other one is very gay. <laughs> um, it's still a couple more years before her marriage to Tom Cruise ends. But I feel like this is the time where, in interviews, the stress is starting to show. She does a lot of interviews in this time period where she talks about how her the media perception of her is just Tom Cruise's wife. I think that, you know, I came over and I married a very famous person and I was seen as this wife for a while. And it's something I'd never expected to be seen as. And I suppose that's just another one of those challenges that life gives you. Now, I've also listened to some interviews where she's looked back on that relationship and she says... It was fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong. Extremely happy in that period of time and at the same time going gosh I wonder if I will ever get to be creatively satiated and if I'm not going to be well then that's okay because I can live you know with him and see all of that from from a distance and and it made, that made me very happy. I think she has said that back then compared to now. She was yeah. like, there was not social media. The paparazzi wasn't. Like, there, you could control things back then as opposed to now where it's fully, like, you know, everything's all digital. But I think now, you know, she's had this, like, lovely marriage and, you know, has more kids and this right. career that's really bountiful. She's like, you know, what? that was okay. That was fine, you know, back then. But as, I well, mean... Was this the was this the time? I think it was the year of 95 so maybe the 96 oscar ceremony where she wore that dress and there's that photo of her taking a cigarette uh taking a smoke on a cigarette and tom cruise is looking disapprovingly at her is that if your theory is that maybe she was you know the marriage was perhaps uh dissipating somewhat that that picture has always sort of felt like a um uh, a bell, a bell with yeah. of sorts. And and the thing is, is we'll never really know what went on in that marriage. But Tom Cruise's whole persona is yeah. very controlled and very like manicured by a certain cult that he's in. Uh-huh. That like I can see that if things are starting to not go his way, yeah, that's you know, well, fam- like famously in the Scientology documentary, whatever it's right. called. There was like that guy who said that it was his job to break them up. That yeah. Nicole was not quote falling in line. Right. I don't know if that's true or not. 
She and, and she has famously said very little about Scientology. Yeah, she won't of, talk about it yeah. out of respect for her two kids who are now, you know, adults. Uh, her two kid adopted kids with Tom Cruise are adults, and uh, she's super classy to not, you know. I mean, the I, I can only imagine what people would pay to like hear about her inside knowledge of Tom Cruise and Scientology, but she is very tight-lipped about it, um, which is insane because she, other than that, she's pretty an open book. You know, she talks, I think she's a really good interviewer. Yeah. Um, and she's very, been pretty candid with a lot of things in her life. I mean, and in terms of her personal life, like if you want to touch on just a little bit on the Scientology, she has said, you know, she's, she is very, she was raised Catholic mm-hmm. and she's very religious. She, in terms that she like, believes in a god she wears a cross like it's very important to her mm-hmm. and so i can see that being you know and plus her father was a psychologist i can yeah. see those being huge obstacles right. for uh, scientology scientology <laughs> yeah um but just to talk about those two films that came out this year back on on those uh batman forever she gets to be super sexy super camp dr like, chase it, meridian oh absolutely mm. just like the steeliest smokiest thing you've ever seen called me here for this the bat signal is not a beeper well i wish i could say that my interest in you was purely professional you're trying to get under my cape doctor <laughs> a girl can't live by psychosis alone it's the car right chicks love the car <laughs> what is it about the wrong kind of man in grade school it was guys with earrings college motorcycles leather jackets now Black rubber. And then in To Die For, she kind of gets to be... What's the polite way of putting this? A lizard person. Yeah. She's like, she's, she's, <laughs> she's also very sexy and very, but she's like manipulative yeah. and crass. And like, there's my favorite moment in that movie is when she, when she gets married and she goes and she hugs her father and she whispers to him, I'll never find a man like you, daddy, uh, and runs away. Uh, and, and he literally goes, what? <laughs> um, I, I had never seen this movie until oh, really? now for this episode. And I was like, this is high camp. Yeah. This is almost, this is almost drag. Like what this movie is doing, seeing like uh, the burnouts and Joaquin Phoenix and her playing like weather woman drag and who has like her eye on the prize. It's, it's kind of like it's, um, like Tracy Flick is in there, you know, it's just like women who have things to say and want to like do the thing and are going to like get there no matter what. One, one of my favorite pieces of trivia about this movie is Reese Witherspoon took election because she saw Nicole Kidman wow. in To Die For. Wow. Charlize Theron researched this role when she took Young Adult and Roseman Pike watched this role for, for Gone Girl. Gone Girl. I, and so and it, it all makes sense. Yes. It all comes back to, to Legends, yeah. standing legends. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, we should do more Charlize Theron updates. On our we episodes. need we need to. We need to. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean so things are going well for her. Uh you know, she does uh Portrait of a Lady in ninety six with Jane Campion. Um she does Practical Magic in ninety eight with Sandra Bullock, which is a critical disaster, but like lives on in cult following. Yep. I love that movie, so I don't, you know, I have no problem. Yeah. Um, uh, and she re- she returns to the stage and she does the Blue Room in London in ninety seven uh, or ninety eight. But she was making that ten thousand. Very movies. big deal, though. Oh, absolutely. 
like because she gets naked and everyone was like what how is the, what, what is what is our nicole doing but the funny thing is <laughs> is she's talked about that in interviews and she's like this is the problem with the press i i stripped down in one scene you only see me from behind and now all anybody talks about is like oh i did that whole play naked yeah 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 <laughs> she does get like nude in a lot of yeah. her movies uh, she does she doesn't anymore yeah um whether you know it's because she feels like she's too old for it or not or i mean she's still a gorgeous woman but back i would say up in even to like the early thousands in the human stain she's naked in it like there are a lot there, of things she was completely fine i mean there, there's a lot of like i mean it's it's never like you know, gratuitous full frontal, but no. even in To Die For, yeah. there's a there's a lot of like nudity, suggested nudity. There's a lot like, and and it is interesting. Like, she, yeah, she's certainly someone who, for being as quote unquote shy as she is, which I get, these are very different things because she's also a an insane professional. Yeah. Um, she she does she yeah. she has very little inhibitions about showing her body, but it feels. I mean, so she. She has that like sex pot thing about her, but she is in control of it yeah. all the time. And it, it, like you said, it never feels gratuitous. It never feels, um, like she's using it to an end. I don't think I've seen too many actors control their body the way she does. I don't know how much we'll talk about it later, but there is also Strangerland, which I think was 2015. There yeah. was, uh, she does full body nudity in that one, which, um, great. Great. I, <laughs> I will just say um, I do love to die for, obviously. Um, and, but I think uh, Batman Forever would have been the first Nicole Kidman, well, the first time I saw her on screen, I'm assuming. I can't imagine what, you know, I saw before I was 10 years old that she <laughs> yeah. was in. So, I, And I think that would probably be the same for many people of a certain age. Let me tell Mine. you, I'm, yours, yeah. I have to say that scene in Batman Forever when Val Kilmer comes to her dressed as Batman and she's only in a sheet, I was like, oh, I do like girls. <laughs> um, it was the hair. Yeah, it was the hair. Now, I will admit that we're starting to get to an era of Nicole where she's like not not using her real hair. Yeah. And um I think it still might be her her hair like straightened and dyed in right. in um Batman Forever, but certainly in To Die For. We're we are we're, we're in wig we're, world. Yeah, we're we're full wiggetry. Um, the wig era. Yeah, absolutely. And we're still in the wig era. Yeah, yeah, we've never left. Um, the, I hope uh, we never do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, so in 1999, famously, uh, she makes Eyes Wide Shut. Mm-hmm. Ends up being Stanley Kubrick's last film. It's also her last collaboration, including her marriage with Tom Cruise. Yep. yep. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, the movie's surrounded with controversy due to the sexual nature of it. It takes and, forever to f- film, right? Yeah, and then takes forever to come out because uh, once Stanley Kubrick dies, the studio's like, oh, we can censor this, which is totally cool and classy of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Don't worry, the director's dead. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a good excuse. <laughs> yeah, he really is. No, he wanted it this way, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, that movie is. I mean, I don't. I know it's a it's a dis- divisive film for a lot of people. I love it. I think it's really great. It makes me. Yeah, I, I agree. Have, I've always said if Stanley Kubrick had to go out on a movie, I'm happy it was Eyes Wide Shut. To be perfectly honest, and I think she's really fantastic in it, and she gets the final word. So I, I mean, that movie, like, I wish I could spend more time with it. I watched it for this kind of in a rush um but yeah i was like man they love fucking in this movie and they love saying fuck in this movie yeah one thing i 
find about that movie and I think she's great in it. Even though she's actually not in it all that much, I feel like this is the period where people begin this idea of her being very icy starts yes. uh, because she, her character is, well, her character isn't particularly nice to that of her husband played by Tom Cruise. No. And which I think for a character in a film by Stanley Kubrick, who is a director who is revered by lots of people, but also particularly so by a certain, um, how to put this delicately, a particularly, um, vocal mm-hmm. part of mm-hmm. of film discourse um who would naturally respond very negatively to that sort of character yeah you can say straight <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah and so i think that's sort of even though the next few years of her career are extremely uh she's becomes extremely popular and her movies do very well it's almost like it's this this idea that sh- that she is uh, that has populated over the years, the year that she's cold and, rem- and, and removed. Uh, I think that sort of begins really here because it is perhaps the most, um, prominent example of it, uh, t- up to date in her career. It comes obviously at, at the time of, of personal turmoil for her. Yeah. the marriage is dissolving. I believe it's Tom who files for divorce. Yeah, I think she, it is. Uh, uh, like they put out a statement together, but then he is the one who files for divorce for and reconciled I, differences. And I've found interviews with her where she talks about it. So it's so funny because that meme keeps going around of like, this is what she looks like. This is the, the pictures of her taken leaving the office after she's signed the divorce papers. And she looks so happy and free. But I've seen interviews, and I gotta say, it sounds like the opposite. Yeah. Actually, a waitress in a restaurant that I'd gone into, she came up just quietly, actually, when she was bringing the check, and she just said to me, it's so good because you you look happy, and I've seen you through, you know, the last few years, and you haven't looked happy. And so you felt what when you heard that? I felt, um, ah... Well, good. I'm glad you think that. No. <laughs> I'm acting. No, no. <laughs> um, no, I thought, I actually thought I, I looked probably not so good and everything, but it's, I think it's so much. I think I read also that she said, she's like, I was in love. I'm still in love with him. And the one thing that I love about her, and I think of when we talk about our picks and reviews, she is such a emotion forward person. Yeah. Um, and when you, She's in the right role in the right movie. That's so, I mean, because it's, it's her communication skills with her body and, um, you know, uh, line readings and everything. It's, it's so good. She's able to really express that through all of her tools and powers to get it to you, whether it's, you know, being really campy and funny, whether it's being like really dramatic. And, um, and I think it's, she's only gotten better right. now that she's, um, not now that, but like, I think all of the movies where she plays, um, like a loving mother character are so good. She is, so good at being loving i think yeah. that that, mm. sh- that really shines through and i think uh her talking about tom and and even now when she talks about keith and they they asked her you know like uh, did keith urban come to your life at the right time she's like i wish i met him years earlier and i right. wish i had 10 more kids with him like it, she's so um emotional yeah um, and 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 i mean that in the most um beautiful way because i think a lot for a lot of people as they grow older they become more and more blocked yeah which, once again, is hilarious because, as Glenn was saying, she 
gets this reputation of being an ice queen. Mm-hmm. Bef- right before we move into that, like, her relationship with Tom Cruise ends, takes about a year off, comes back. 2001, she does her first movie back and it's birthday girl and she does a real shaky quakey russian accent in that movie um but, yeah we don't talk about that one yeah exactly but the uh but the real comeback is moulin rouge and it's funny because she is right and i think you're i think you're definitely right to mention the 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 like kind of male gaze on eyes wide shut being like the start of the icy era but there's one hiccup before that happens and that's Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, because there is, I don't know if there is a more passionate Nicole Kidman performance. And it's so funny because it's very campy and it's very big. But I, I also think we did a Ewan McGregor episode. And I do think she also occasionally has to match him because as we mentioned in his episode, he's an overactor. Yeah. Um, but like there's, she's on the other hand, she's so warm and so human and it's everything that character needs because i think uh, a lesser actor would have maybe leaned too far into the like bitter courtesan and it's there but it's not the core of the character and i think that's exactly what you're talking about too she's so full of emotion that when she gets to put it out on screen it it just it radiates off her yeah it's well and also it's exactly what the film needed because I I am a, an admitted fan of Baz Luhrmann's sort of, you know, flamboyant, over-the-top, everything-plus-the-kitchen-sink <laughs> sort of filmmaking mentality, but it doesn't work if you don't have that very uh, emotional center that she brings to it. It radiates so much, yeah, passion and love, and it's exactly what the film needed to to balance uh, the Baz Luhrmann's very uh, uh, extravagant flamboyance. Yeah, freedom, beauty, truth, and love. Absolutely. Plus, it has Kylie Minogue as, as an absinthe fairy. So there yeah, you go. Absolutely. He he's just like, oh, did I mention I'm from Australia? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about a bunch of these more. And I don't want to keep us in the rewind too long. But literally, it's like after Moulin Rouge, it's banger after banger after it's banger. It's after Moulin Rouge, but it's also after Tom Cruise. It's, it's like, after, yeah. It's banger it's, after banger after banger. She does... It's the golden period. Oh, absolutely. She does The Others in 2001. She plays Virginia Woolf in The Hours in 2002. Moulin Rouge gets her her second Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Um, she also receives her first Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. Yep. And a lot of people will say she was robbed. And a lot of people, and I think rather unfairly, will say when she does The Hours, she gets nominated for a second time and she wins. A lot of people are like, well, they're really giving it to her for, for Moulin, Moulin Rouge. Rouge. That performance as Virginia Woolf is very good. Yeah, my my uh, recollection of that period was not so much that it was an an Oscar for Moulin Rouge, or that although that clearly was obviously uh, a very important factor, but there was this very uh, I didn't like it at the time, but the very cynical idea that she was being rewarded as sort of a like. Uh, 
for having endured uh, mm. the divorce wow. to one of Hollywood's biggest stars. They're like, wow. oh, good for you. Good for you. You're like, now's, now's the time for you to like, to shine because now you're no longer married to him. And it was a very, yeah, I, it was very uncomfortable uh, rationale that people uh, tried to put on that win because as you say, she's incredible as Virginia Woolf in the hours. And I think she would have certainly gotten she would certainly would have gotten nominated and likely have won anyway uh without Moulin Rouge yeah and 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 I do I I like stand by that performance I think Virginia Woolf is not an easy character to embody and she actually a lot of people don't consider this she has to play Virginia Woolf in two different parts of her life Mm -hmm. she has to play Virginia Woolf while she's writing Miss Dalloway after she's, you know, had a couple breakdowns and and suffering from mental illness, but then she also has to play Virginia, the Virginia Woolf in the of the beginning and the end of the movie, who is killing herself, yeah, who has succumbed yeah. to her mental illness, and I I don't know, it's not an easy performance. I, I am attended by doctors everywhere. I am attended by doctors who inform me of my own interests. They know your interests. They do not. They do not speak for my interests. Virginia, I can, I can see that it must be hard for a, a woman of your... Of what? Uh, of my your, what? Exactly. Your talents to see that she may not be the best judge of her own condition. Oh, then it's a better judge. You have a history! And there is, of course, um, it's Enzo Washington when he announces that she, you know, her name uh, for the Oscar and he says that stupid line by a nose. And it's yeah, it's sort of, God. that yeah. also helps demean the performance somewhere yeah. as well, which is very disappointing. And again, that's all people wanted to talk about. Right. Kind of like when she got naked on stage, that's all they want to talk about. And for this, like, yeah. they gave her an Oscar because she put a fucking nose on. Like, And, and what's really unfortunate too is that she gives a really good Oscar speech. She and gives she, an amazing speech. Ugh. And she's... Also, and you can tell, like, it's a parental influence, um, it, she gets political. She yeah. talks about the war. I do have to say, um, it was, why do you come to the Academy Awards when the world is in such turmoil? Because art is important. Um, <laughs> and because you believe in what you do and you want to honor that. And it is a tradition that needs to be upheld. This is 2002. Like, yeah. we have just entered, you know, the war. You uh, know what's fun? We're still partially in that war. What, hey. what, what? Anyways. Um, <laughs> but, and, but, like, so, uh, yeah, a, a wonderful, wonderful speech. It wasn't, like, you know, self-congratulatory at all. No. It was, I mean, she was talking about, like, why are we doing the things that we do? Like, you know, the Oscars is a big, like, circle jerk anyway, you yeah. know, and she took a moment to, like, actually have a conversation about, like, something real, which was really cool. Um, she then goes on to do Lars von Trier's Dogville, uh, The Human Stain, and Cold Mountain, uh, Anthony Mangella's, uh Civil War drama. Uh, that's a movie I appreciate more than I like. Um, you, you just recently watched it. Yeah, I watched it. I liked it more. I, Cold Mountain was always one of those movies where I was like, I'm not going to watch anything called Cold Mountain that's three hours long. What the fuck? Um, but I recently did and I was like, huh, I'm not mad at this movie. And Renee Zellweger deserved her Oscar. Yeah. Ooh, Um, (laughs) that's controversial. (laughs) I'm so happy you're here, Glenn. (laughs) (laughs) One little anecdote that comes out of this movie and, uh, was that years later when she was at uh, doing press for Rabbit Hole, um, she did one of those roundtables, the Hollywood Reporter roundtables, and Natalie Portman was on it. 
and Natalie Portman tells this story about how when they were on this, when she was on the set with Nicole Kidman, Nicole gave her career advice because at this point, Natalie Portman's career was sort of at an odd spot. And the way Natalie says it was that Nicole told her always choose a film by the director because at least if the movie stinks, you'll have a good story <laughs> uh, to tell people. And I think that's actually quite, you look at her career and apart from some yeah, um, yeah. spots, it actually holds true. And at least, and in this place, you know, it's Anthony Mangala, isn't yeah. it? It's Anthony Mangala. Yeah. Like, I mean, who wouldn't want to make a film with Anthony Mangala and Absolutely. Jude Law and Renee Zellweger? So yeah, even though I'm not a fan of the film, I, so I see its place in her uh, career. Yeah. Her next film is uh 2004's birth, uh, which uh, I, I just saw and really liked, um, and it causes controversy because the scene where she's the, once again, it's one of those things where like people focus on the minutia and don't pay attention. There's a scene where she gets a uh, 10 year old gets in a tub naked with her. This 10 year old has is claiming to be the reincarnation of her dead husband. It's not really sexual. It's really not if you watch the film and and it comes at a really interesting time. But post that, I think we're starting to this is the sort of the end of the golden age for Nicole. Yeah. Um, she does the Stepford Wives remake. She does the interpreter and she does Bewitched. Uh -huh. And uh, we've mentioned Bewitched before in our Witches episode. Yes. It was not Louis' favorite. No. Um, to go back to sort of what I was saying before, even though you look at these movies and yet, no, they're not good, but she's still choosing, like, who wouldn't want to work with Nora Ephron? Right. I mean, come on. It's... Uh, yeah, it, yeah. That, that's a pretty, that's a great thing to be able to, like, at, you know, at the end of her life, she'll be able to say, yeah, I worked with Nora Ephron, and that was really fucking great, even if right. the movie was, you know, bewitched. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she goes back to work with Baz Luhrmann for Australia. I remember people hating it, so I was like, maybe I should rewatch and see why people hated it. And I was like, you know what? It has Hugh Jackman, like, and the slow pan up with him throwing water at himself, shirtless, the tightest yep. jeans you've ever yeah. seen in your life. And I was like, Baz Luhrmann, thank you so much for all you do. I know. I, lo I love that Baz Luhrmann's like, I'm not gay, but yeah. you will be yeah, by the time dude. this film has ended. <laughs> <laughs> very, It's very that. Yeah. Can you guys believe Baz Luhrmann? Straight. Oh. <laughs> 2010, she does Rabbit Hole with John Cameron Mitchell. And the only reason I bring it up, because I, I think it's a fine movie. Um, I, I like her in it a lot, and I, I really like the direction. But my favorite thing about it is um, she leaves Woody Allen's You Will Meet a Tall Dark Stranger yeah. to go do Rabbit Hole. Yeah. Oh. And I just want to give her a moment of just like... <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole, for everything you do. Um, uh, you know, she then does... Uh, Trespass. Joel, she reteams with Joel Schumacher, Batman Forever director, um, and she stars alongside Nicolas Cage. Oh, God. Um, it's not good, you guys. Yeah, it's really I, not good. I mean, I, yeah, I I don't even know what to say about that. I movie. somehow missed that one. I don't know how um, it happened, but and and like this is just in general feels like a very campy period. In 2012, she does uh the Paperboy for Lee oh, Daniels. Yeah. Oh, it's funny because the brilliant. Paperboy Paperboy is one of those things where I think people don't. Um, Lee Daniels was always a little trashy, and I think because Precious uh, was yeah. was seen as such a wards bait, and so that people like maybe missed some of the like kind of John Watersy nuance that occurs in that movie. Well, he puts fucking Mariah Carey in it. Hello, right. exactly. So 
he goes and does the Paperboy, and everybody else is like, great, more awards bait. And then they see the movie, and they're like, oh, no. They're like, piss play? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That scene. And yet she still nearly gets Oscar nominated she for it. She does. And she is nominated yeah. by the Screen Actors Guild and Golden Globes, which oh, yeah. is sort of is a testament. In 2013, she does Stoker for Park Chan-wook. And uh, once again, it's one of those situations where... I, I like Stoker, so this is going to sound pretty insulting, but honestly, she took this job to work with Park Chan-wook. I mean, yeah. She's like, uh, all these, uh, this is the period where she's like, listen, I can do anything I fucking want. Right. And she goes to find uh, auteurs and like really fun creative people. She doesn't want to keep doing the same thing. She's... Uh, she's an artist. I, right. I I love how adventurous she is. There are not a lot of... Uh, and, she, and she says that. She says, you know, she, when picking projects, she does a lot of leaping before thinking. Because if she thinks about it, she's she'll ruin it for yeah. herself. I'm so random. I, I would love to say that I have this really sort of decisive way of working and making decisions. And I am just completely random and spontaneous. If I feel it, I do it. If there's something in the story that I love, if there's a director that I just love, then I, go, I don't even need to read the script. What do you need me to do? I mean, I'm that. I'll do favors for friends. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, um, but that's how I work, you know. I'm like, okay. And I like that it, to take some of the weight off it because artistically, I, I want to explore things. I want to fail at times because I need to fail to get back up again. I'm not a perfectionist. Yeah. Uh, strangely enough, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm an explorer. I like to navigate and explore things, and I'm open. I'm incredibly open to what's in front of me. And my husband always says, you're so... Um, you kind of just jump in and make decisions and then deal with all of the consequences later. I think it was John Cameron Mitchell who said, you know, most people, most celebrities who do indie movies are chasing awards. Yeah. And she fully is just not, you know, like no one does, uh, you know, some of these roles and some of these films to chase. No one does how to talk to girls at parties to like right. fucking win an award. Right, right. You know, like you do it because you're a weird fucking kooky theater kid. Yeah. It's it's so funny. Which is the, why we love her. This, yeah, which is why we love absolutely. her. And she is she's not afraid of the work, and I, I appreciate that. Um, twenty fourteen, she stars in Grace of Monaco, uh, which um, <laughs> I I have so many mixed feelings about that. Most of them, I probably in order to be taken seriously, I'm going to keep to myself. Um, Gavin <laughs> famously loves Grace of Monaco. I, I kind of do, but not for not for the the reason like. I, I kind of love Grace and Monaco because Parker Posey plays a servant character whose literal job in the movie is to walk into rooms, stare disapprovingly, and leave them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, She's know. like, Grace Kelly, who cares? <laughs> she does a bunch of independent films, but I, I do want to point out she plays the villain in the first Paddington movie yes. uh, in 2014. Genius. Yeah, she's brilliant in it. And, like, admittedly, once again, Paddington 2 is maybe the better movie. But honestly, just watch Nicole Kidman. Come on. Well, um, and this is the this is the uh, Wizard of Oz uh, Wicked Witch. Yes. Uh, her inspiration. Finally, she gets to actually live it out on camera. Well, I kind of feel like she did something similar in Golden Compass. And actually, she's, like, one of the things about Golden Compass that I think works. But villainous nicole yeah villainous nicole uh it's funny fun fact about paddington um she learned how to throw knives with accuracy for that movie as part of the villain and then they of told her she did yeah they told her that was too scary for children and she they couldn't were like, do it so nicole could kill you <laughs> yes 
I do love the story she's told on chat shows when she was talking about this movie in that her kids can never go see any of her movies because they're too adult. So she decided to make a kid's movie that they could go see. <laughs> in doing so, God. she played the villain who wants to taxidermy yeah. her. <laughs> I, will, bear. I will admit. She's walked. I love it. Did you say marmalade? Hmm. What happened to him? He sneaked out in the mail van. Yes. I tracked him as far as Paddington Station. Good. But then he disappeared. I'm sorry. It's just that that creature means a great deal to me. Why? Is he endangered? He is now. There's a bunch of like independent films that are, I feel like, almost all forgotten. You brought up Strangerland. Family Fang, which is a movie I have fully seen and cannot tell you anything about other than somehow she's Jason Bateman's sister. Yeah, Jason Bateman directed that. Oh, I can tell you. (laughs) I can tell you about Family Fang. (laughs) Um, Queen of the Desert in 2015. Uh, the the remake of Secret in Their Eyes, in which she finally gets Oof. to star with her her deadly rival Julia yeah, Roberts. Roberts. I'm kidding; they're probably they're friends, very good yeah. friends. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and that sort of brought us to the present. 2016, she plays uh the mother, the adoptive mother of Saru Burley and Lion in Cry Factory. Lion, <laughs> you know, and it is in retrospect, it is surprising she got an Oscar nomination for that movie because yeah. It's so completely different to everything she's done, but it goes to what you were saying earlier about her being so warm and being and being a mother on screen. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's like, yeah. I, and I think this is actually around the time that her public persona finally started to actually yeah, it starts uh, warming up a lot. Change in 2017, her and Reese Witherspoon uh, co-produce Big Little Lies for HBO. Um, and I've heard her talk a little bit about this. She, you know, it's funny, I, I listened to an interview where the interviewer tried to be like, oh, well, men are the problem with Hollywood. And I think what's really interesting is she doesn't think it's just men. She's like, it's, you know, it's like systematic. The problem is it's starting at the ground level where the females are not given the chance to build their careers so that they can become the great directors. Yeah. And that's what we need to change. I think the stories, as much as a lot of... um men run studios, so do women, and then the argument is people aren't going to pay to go see this. Well, we have to change that in the terms of we have to go out and pay. We all have to go, I'm going to actually buy a ticket to prove that, no, this story does need to be told. It's been a couple of years now where, you know, the women or who have been winning Oscars who have gone on stage and said, we need to do better about working with women, making opportunities for women, and she has said she made a she made a deal with herself that she would work with at least uh, one female director every 18 months. And then she said, I'm actually, I'm at five right now. I went above and beyond. And so I, she's like, but I still have work to do because I've only worked with two DPs, two female DPs before. And so I, I love that she has taken, uh, you know, it's easy enough for like, you know, whoever to say something at the Oscars and then nothing to happen. I think it's really cool that she's really been like, okay, you know what? Fuck yeah, I'm going to do this. Um, and that's where you get, you know, like Destroyer wearing with Karen Kusama. Uh, it's the beguiled. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, the beguiled. Exactly, Sophia Coppola. Um, Top of the Lake season two. Even. I was, I was actually just going to say that too. You know, because a lot of people think about 2017 and and being, you know, the year of Big Little Lies. That's not the only TV she does. She does Jane Camp. It's Jane Campion, right? That's the top of the lake. Uh, Jane Campion directed half of it. One odd thing about Top of the Lake China Girl was that she's starring alongside Elizabeth Moss, who is uh, a Scientologist. Another, another Scientologist, yep. and Scientologists have a very 
strict policy about not associating with um, suppressive people, and she is like the most famous suppressive person. She's I suppressor think until one. <laughs> until Leah Remini came along. Um, <laughs> True. So I'm not quite sure how that working relationship was, but it's a, it's an it's an interesting little um, thing to take into the series to watch how they interact with each other. And 2018 is also another incredibly busy year for her. She's shooting the second season of Big Little Lies, and there's lots of controversy about that. But then she also has Destroyer come out, Boy Erased come out, yeah. and Aquaman come out. Yeah. So um, she's a busy girl. She absolutely is. And that mostly brings us up to nowadays. She has a couple films coming out. And we'll probably talk about them in the fast forward. Uh, real quick on her personal life, she meets Keith Urban, country singer, but most people don't. Real, I mean, not, I, they do now, but at the time didn't realize that, you know, he's a New Zealander slash Australian. Yep. They marry in 2007 and it was like a secret engagement. Um, it's funny. I found an interview with her where she was like cheekily, like after she was divorced from Tom Cruise, the interviewer was like, well, anytime that you go out to dinner with a man, the press is instantly like they're engaged. And she's like, well, that's why I go out to dinner with so many men. <laughs> um, <laughs> same, same, Nicole. Same. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's good. I like that one. And, and she, you know, she, she like famously says in 2015, they didn't really know each other before they got married. Yeah. Yeah. And she got to know him through the process of being married, being married. Um, they have two children, Sunday Rose, who was born in 2008, and Faith Margaret, who was born in 2010, um, via gestational surrogacy. Yeah, she's talked a lot about how she, so she took, a, she, uh, she now is taking on a lot of mother roles from like, from being Aquaman's mom to Boy Erased to yeah. Lion. And especially with Lion, she, she was like, I, you know, have experienced this, uh, you know, adoption, gestational birth. She's like, I've done all versions of being a mother. And she's like, and the love is just not any different, you know, and, um, and it kind of like circles back to that whole emotional thing. And I, I mean, I just watched Boy Race for the first time today and I was just like, man, she's so fucking good. This happens to me a lot doing this podcast. Um, I find movies that I really don't like at all, yeah. but find performances <laughs> in them. And she is like, she's a gangbusters in that movie. Yeah. Just, I mean that the scene where she comes to rescue him oh, and she's God. like, shame on you. And, and then shame she shame on, on me. me. Oh. Like I was just like, Oh my God. What are your actual qualifications? Mr. Sachs? I never asked. Hmm. Are you a doctor? Are you psychologist? I mean, a proper one. Are you? No, I didn't think so. I <laughs> Shame on you! Shame on me too. Shame on you! She is a a mother through and through. She said, you know, that she I think she did an interview with Vogue once and she was like, Do you know what Kids Bop is? <laughs> um and she's like, I was just there last Saturday. Apparently Kids Bop now does tours. And like kids go and like have yeah. their little mini Coachellas and shit. And she was like, I took my kids to Kids Bop. And, and she lives in Tennessee and just took them. And I was like, fuck yes, Nicole. Yeah. <laughs> Mother extraordinaire. <laughs> um, she, you know, she's been a UNICEF goodwill ambassador since 1994. Yep. Since a very long time. Um, 
you know, she's, uh, she was honored as a citizen of the world by the United Nations in 2004. In 2006, Australia Day honors, uh, she was appointed a companion of the Order of Australia for, quote, services to the performing arts as an acclaimed motion picture performer to healthcare through contributions to improve medical treatment for women and children and advocacy for cancer research to youth as a principal supporter of young artists and to humanitarian causes in Australia and internationally. So that's essentially like, she's essentially knighted in yeah. Australia. Um, She's essentially a god. That's yeah, just, exactly. That's, I will just uh, interject with one strange sort of thing about Nicole Kidman in Australia is that, um, yeah, she's actually like half loved, half hated here. Like, oh really? She, yeah, there's that the ice, the icy persona that I was talking about before. Mm. It, it's, it has, it did come into Australia very strongly and like uh, lots of people just are not a fan of her. They find her, yeah, very removed and the, the, the stuff with her adopted children is still, I can't actually believe that it's still a thing considering what we all know about Scientology, but yeah, some people are still, still feel quite strongly about the fact that she no longer seems to have any contact with her adopted children. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, it's this lots, lots of people in the, in sort of filmic circles sort of feel like they have a story of, you know, a friend of a friend worked on a movie with her and she was, you know, not nice or she was, yeah, she's was by, she's just sat in a trailer and she didn't associate with people. And so, so it's odd, but the people who love her obviously love her. And I feel I mentioned before, since Lion, I feel that public perception has changed because she's now playing roles that either are a bit warmer or roles like Big Little Lies that are very culturally resonant. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and she, and it's almost like she's, Australians love to, you spoke about this on the Chris Hemsworth episode. Australians love to cut people down if yes, they are yes. perceived as getting too famous, uh, and too successful. And, you know, oh, they, but she comes back to Australia a lot to make movies and TV. So I'm not quite sure why, why, why that is. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah I think, yeah, in, but with Big Little Eyes, especially people finally sort of saw like, oh, she's, uh, she's doing something that we want to watch <laughs> as opposed to maybe some of the more esoteric titles that we've talked about and maybe Fair. we'll talk about in um, the next segment. Uh, yeah. So that's an odd little, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a strange little thing about Nicole Kidman in Australia. That's some very good context for us though. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's sort of what happened with the Emma Thompson. Uh, you yes. were talking about oh, Emma yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. astute, very astute. Yeah, uh, there's odd, odd, odd attitudes around her. I, yeah, I, that's always so, I don't want to say disappointing. I don't want to be like, I'm disappointed with the entirety of Australia. But they, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess I get it. We, yeah. as Americans, we have a tendency to tear down our own celebrities. Right. And then, and always the, romanticize people from like, yeah, outside the country. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's really interesting. But that kind of like brings us up to now. Yeah. Right. I think we're in a good spot to get into our picks. Let's do our one star reviews. So two of the films that I hadn't seen uh, already were coincidentally directed by the same person, oh. uh, which I had not known this going in. The first was The Human Stain. Uh-huh. The other was the other was Billy 
Bathgate. Ah, my goodness. And I chose Billy Bathgate. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Okay. Oddly, I dislike both movies for this for very similar reasons. Uh, Really? They both both follow two different storylines in a way. And the Nicole one is infinitely more interesting in both, but the film doesn't seem to know that, Mm -hmm. which is the the really frustrating thing that the director didn't sort of figure that out with 15 years, I think, or so, 10 years (laughs) between them. Um, Yeah, so Billy Bathgate uh, from 1990. Two, I think. Um, it was her first Golden Globe nomination, uh, which is both surprising and not surprising if you consider <laughs> the Golden Globes because she was yeah. like a brand new star and she was finally in sort of a, a role that they could actually nominate. They couldn't clearly weren't going to nominate uh, Days of Thunder. Um, yeah, I just <laughs> I, in my research of this movie, apparently it's an extremely expensive movie and. This surprised me because it looks so cheap. Yeah, it does not look expensive. Everything looks like a set, but not a good set. Like the set of a cheap TV (laughs) series from like the 80s, maybe. Um, It sort of reminded me of, this is a damning indictment, um, of I think it's Shanghai Surprise, the Madonna movie, which was set in like the 20s as well, I think, or the 30s, whenever it was. And it just sort of had that very... Yeah, that artificial look, which um, I found really, yeah, it looked really cheap. Uh, she is fine. She's really, she's nice. Um, I like the, I like some of the character stuff she throws in, the way that she's able to signify her character's ease with shifting loyalties, because she's initially the sort of the side piece of Bruce Willis's character, but then, spoiler alert, he gets thrown off a boat with concrete around his feet, and so then she sort of naturally has to then become the side piece of Dustin Hoffman's character, and whilst also carrying on an affair with the uh, innocent newcomer to the gang, whilst also she's married to a gay husband, I think. Um, And so I sort of, I liked the way she got to she had to play with those loyalties, but I don't think the film knew that that was an asset and it doesn't highlight it at all. Well, you just have to make excuses for me. There's certain proprieties to be maintained. You are my wife, after all, or have you forgotten? Pardon, please, what's the point in making a fuss? There's a certain limit. I mean, a bit of scandal isn't the point, but sooner or later you're going to get it over your head and then what will you do? I expect you to come to the rescue, like you always do. I just thought it was really, yeah, really cheap, really boring for like a gangster movie. I just remember it being like, like it, it started crawling towards the second hour, and I was just like, oh my god, this movie's not stopping. <laughs> yeah, Glenn, do you have any like final thought on Billy Bathgate? No, not really. It's a film that I sort of, <laughs> I sort of, I, I put it on somewhat begrudgingly, which perhaps played into my thoughts about it, but also there was just nothing there that really grabbed me and made me want to, uh, (laughs) to be honest, talk about it all that much longer. Um, There you go. And (laughs) well, the only thing that maybe separated this from my one star and choosing the human stain was that I liked uh, some of the flashbacks in human stain a bit more. And I may have actually liked a whole movie set in the flashbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was nothing really in Billy Bathgate that made me like it. So that's why it's my one-star review. 
Well, don't you worry, Glenn, because my one-star review is The Human Stain. <laughs> well done. Well done. Um, uh, it's a 2003 movie, um, like Glenn said, by the same uh, director, uh, Robert, Robert Benton. Benton. Nicole plays like a uh, janitor-type character at a college that um, uh, Anthony Hopkins works at. And it's it wants to be like this racially charged movie. Um, all you gotta know is that Anthony Hopkins is supposed to play a, um, black person, like a light skinned passing black person. Um, uh, like Glenn mentioned, there's like flashbacks to when he was, uh, younger. Um, younger him is played by Wentworth Miller, who is an actually light skinned black person. And so that makes sense. Uh, Wentworth Miller, who would go on to write Stoker, starring Nicole Kippen. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things in the human scene that are like kind of just really, you know, and, and I guess this is, I mean, no, it's just 2003. So, uh, Nicole's not a super young at this point. She's, she's been the biz, but she's got like this. It she, is close to post divorce. Oh, yeah. She, um, has an accent. It's, she's in the South. She kind of is playing like white trash. Um, her story is a lot more interesting than his. The whole thing is like, he um says the word spooks in a class and people think he's being racist and the whole gag is that he can't be racist because he's secretly black um but the thing is anthony hopkins is anthony hopkins <laughs> and so the Who level is not black <laughs> right, right. famously not black famously I don't know if you so- noticed, but definitely not famously black. sounds like um i don't know like an animated pug like <laughs> Like a, an animated true. British pug, like it's uh, and so like the level of believability is just like far too insane to even get on. Um, there is some nudity in this movie. Um, she uh, she, she starts having an affair with him, and um, it's weird and gross. Um, no shame to people with age differences in their love life, but it, they're both just like very miscast. I haven't been this close to a woman before since your wife died. Oh no. Listen, um, <clears throat> we should get something straight. If you're looking for sympathy, uh, you come to the wrong place. I, am. <clears throat> I, I don't do sympathy. I don't know what the fuck they're trying to like teach us about, you know, uh, you know, race relations and things of that nature. But, um, whatever it is, this movie didn't do it. It's not, I mean, like, uh, the only, the only thing I liked was that there's a very young Carrie Washington in this movie. And, um, that was fun to see. The thought um, I had when watching this movie was that it's icky. It's yes. really gross. I really, it is really gross. It's not an enjoyable experience at all. And then at the end of the movie, when they turn around and everyone suddenly discovers that, whoa, yeah. how could yeah. he have been racist? Cause he was black all along. It yeah. It becomes this weird sort of, sort of like anti libs, like right. anti PC. It it's, it's very, they're like, or this was even a thing in like the public discourse. And it's, yeah, absolutely. It's really- it, it absolutely is that because it's like, I was just like saying this and I didn't mean it. And even the, like, 
uh, for whatever it is, it, it is very much like, well, yeah, you judged him and I should have said something like there's a moment and it's really gross where a other black professor by that. I mean, his skin color is black. Yes, yeah. He's not, yes. he's not Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> he's not Anthony he's Hopkins. Not, black. He's not a white person. Pretend, yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, I should have said something, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Is, that was what weird. is going It's it's the whole thing. Like, you shouldn't call a white person racist because he might be black. What the fuck? Right. Yeah, as a that's moral, weird. that's a really shit moral. Yeah, it's very movie. fucking... Also, uh, d- the director, Robert Benton, got her to get full frontal naked in both of his movies, which... Uh, icky. ...is interesting, maybe. <laughs> so I'm I'm choosing the one movie not directed by the same guy. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the uh, I chose uh, 2007's uh, The Invasion. And my initial choice was going to be the Joel Schumacher movie Trespass she did, um, which I've seen and did not feel the need to rewatch because it is trash. But she's at least, like, giving... It's a crazy performance, but it's a performance, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. It's, it's acting, with a capital A, but it's acting. <laughs> um, the Invasion is... The Invasion is the 9 millionth remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, she plays this main character. She's a psychiatrist and her husband works as a CDC. And after a, a space shuttle crash, uh, suddenly people start getting infected with this alien disease that makes, turns them into, you know, emotionless creatures. And it affects you if you fall asleep. Um, this movie was very, was famously, uh, a disaster because essentially, uh, Oliver Hirschbeagle, who directed it, um, made this film, you know, based it off the screenplay, brought it to Warner Brothers, and they were like, what's this? <laughs> and uh, they were like, this isn't fun or exciting. And so they hired uh, the Wachowskis to do uncredited rewrites, and they got uh, James McTeague from v-, v for Vendetta to do action scenes a year after the movie was already completed. Wow. So they brought everybody back, um, which is funny because the wig work in this movie is kind of, oh, what? <laughs> like, like clearly, like I even tweeted about this. I feel like you can see the lace in the lace front, but still weirdly endearing. It's digital um, for technology. Oh, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's going to love cats. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Nicole Kidman is going to love cats. She's like, I've done that. Essentially, it becomes like a quote-unquote paranoid thriller where she's like, you know, she doesn't want to be infected, so she doesn't want to fall asleep. Her son is immune to the disease, so the aliens want to to kill him. Meanwhile, in the background of this film, the aliens are busy bringing about world peace. And this is the weird thing that occurs in the movie, is that the movie's politics, even before the alien invasion, are this vi- there's this very strange speech she gives when she's talking to these ambassadors about how, like progress has really paid off in certain areas and you know 60 years ago there wouldn't have been a second wave feminist like her sitting in front of them and i thought it was really weird that she chose that yeah. that specific wording while i'll give you that we still retain some basic animal instincts you have to admit we're not the same animal we were a few thousand years ago True. Piaget, Kohlberg, or Maslow, Graves, Wilbur, and you'll see that we're still evolving. Our consciousness is changing. 500 years ago, a postmodern feminist didn't exist, yet one sits right beside you today. And while that fact may not undo all of the terrible things that have been done in this world, at least it gives me reason to believe that one day things may be different. Yeah, and so the politics are really weird. In the end, you know, 
obviously because this movie didn't have sequels or anything, like everything turns out to be all right. But the, but the very last thing in the movie is Daniel Craig, who by the way is her love interest and has made me realize that outside of Ava Green, I think Daniel Craig is just a black hole for romantic chemistry. <laughs> you mentioned Rhett and Rachel Weisz. <laughs> yeah, Rachel Weisz. In Dreamhouse, like Awful. It, he, his actual wife, he couldn't even generate heat with. Certainly no heat here. Um, he's been affected, and then he like he's fixed in the end. But anybody that was infected suffers a bout of amnesia because essentially their brain went into sleeping mode. And he's like reading the newspaper, and he's like, "Oh, three more suicide bombings in the Middle East. When will it ever end?" And that's and, the end. And Nicole Kidman's staring at him. And the villain's monologue about world peace, like, plays back in her head. And she's just, like, staring. And that's the end of the movie. And it's just, like, it's, like, maybe life would be better if, if none of us emotions. chose. Yeah, to, to do, like, we all chose to just not have emotions. And, like, isn't like that, it's the weirdest. Isn't that a Rick and Morty episode? Yeah, what the fuck? Like, like, yeah, exactly. Um, I didn't remember fa- that any of this. Yeah, it's, it's so. <laughs> I've seen this movie, too. It's, it's the least thrilling thriller i've ever seen but it is also occasionally comedy gold my favorite scene in it is uh her assistant uh has been taken over and she tries to like drug the thing is is they're always trying to bring you liquids that they've drugged so you'll go to sleep and she brings her coffee and nicole kimman like picks it up and she's like oh smells nice and she's like it's my special recipe and she's just staring blankly at her and nicole kimman goes to drink it and then she like looks up suspiciously and so the woman then like puts on the fakest smile she has and the cut back to Nicole is Nicole Kimmon literally just like shrugging and then about to drink. And it's, it's hilarious. It's like, what, what, what sort of comic genius right. wrote this scene? Um, yeah, bad movie all around. You can really feel how back and forth it is between the different writing styles and the different directors. So, so bad. Uh, do not, and her, and once again, I do these based on performance. She, she had nothing to go off of. She had no one to work with. And it just is a, it's the flattest, blankest I've ever seen Nicole Kidman. So, yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, is there anything else we want to mention that really sucks that we hated? I will say maybe the worst movie I've ever seen is Nine. Oh, uh, yeah. Fuck Nine. I always put Nine out yeah, of my nine head. Great. I hate, yeah. I hate that. I, that was maybe like the first time I remember walking out of the theater being like, I hated that entire movie. Entire I movie. I remember seeing Nine and walking out, and the, in front of me were like four or five, I want to say maybe 16, 17 year old kids. Like maybe they'd gone up to school to see Nine, <laughs> and they did not look like musical theater kids. And I really wanted to ask them what the hell they thought of it, but I was yeah. not brave enough. So, like, I, did, I, did you love Marion Cotillard? Yes. <laughs> what did you think of Fergie? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you going to be Italian? Um, <laughs> um, the other really bad one I, I should probably mention is Werner Herzog's Queen of the Desert. Yeah. Okay. Um, which was another one of those weird parallels with Naomi Watts because she was meant to star in it. She dropped out, <laughs> and I think she suggested Nicole for it. Have you heard my good friend Nicole? <laughs> <laughs> which. Their their friendship fascinates me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's pretty good Very for good. our one star reviews. Very let's, good. Let's get a little more positive and talk about our five star reviews. Then we're gonna go to you first again. What did you think is your five star review for Nicole Kidman? The one I ultimately went with, and I'm hoping you guys have not chosen it as well, is Birth. 
Wow. Yeah, Jonathan Glazer's Birth from 2004. I rewatched this last night and it is, and I know it's, it can come off as just very hyperbolic, but it's, it's literally everything I want in movies. Mm. Um, I just, the atmosphere is so, uh, so incredible. Uh, the cinematography is beautiful. The score, my God, that score. The score. Um, I don't even like Alexandre Desplat that much. And that score, like, is, I don't, that score is amazing. It's out it's of the It's incredible. Um, and I just, I, it's, it's one of those movies that I actually find myself, and which is, very bad for a podcast uh found myself quite lost for words about because mm. it it has a yeah it has a mood it has an atmosphere to it that is so its own and i know that it's sort of in some ways riffing on other movies like yeah. perhaps the work of kubrick and i think rosemary's baby are probably oh, the two that get 100 around rosemary's baby but i also yeah. feel it's 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 its own unique sort of weird thing. And then I don't think a film since has kind of has found that space that, uh, yeah, that atmospheric space that this movie exists on. I don't think I've seen something since that does something even remotely similar to it. And I think Nicole Kidman, who I guess we should say the plot of the movie, it's about a woman whose husband died 10 years earlier, but suddenly a 10-year-old boy shows up and says that he is the reincarnation of her dead husband. And there was a lot of talk at the time about uh, yes, a particular scene in which she shares a bathtub with the boy, but if you actually see it in context of the movie, it makes total sense. But right. one of the things that I found in my research is it's one of those famous films where, uh, and by famous, I mean in certain gay Twitter Nicole Kidman circles, <laughs> is that it's got a, a 38% on Rotten Tomatoes because wow. it was hated at the time that it came out. And its critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes includes the line, uh, so it's an absurd storyline of questionable taste, hmm. which I feel like I just sort of want to go to all those critics who gave it such scathing reviews and just sort of like make them watch it again now. Because one of the, I think, three positive reviews on its homepage uh, it was written 10 years after its release. And I feel like it's, <laughs> and it's definitely a film that I've noticed people have started to come around to. Uh, I saw it at the cinema when it came out um, and I loved it then. Uh, so I'm glad I got the chance to see it on a big screen because it's not one that comes around very often. Uh, but I, yeah, and I think it's, I would go out on a limb and say, Barring perhaps uh, Big Little Lies, it's her best performance. Um, But it's also the performance that I think encapsulates the sort of thing that people hate about Nicole Kidman when they say they don't like her. Uh, Very cold, very removed. She does the whispering thing through the whole movie, which I love, but I know a lot of people don't. yeah, I just it's it's a film that has much like the the quote unquote spell uh, that they talk about um, 
in the movie uh, that her character uh, sort of casts over this young boy. The film casts a spell, I guess, over me, and I just sort of get pulled into this Upper West Side uh, sort of strange, fantastical story um, where... Uh, I feel like people read the ending very literally, but I think there's something more abstract to be found in it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I just, it's it's a film that really, yeah, it, it sort of gets to me in a way that very few films, um, s- certainly since, uh, have been able to. And that's me on birth. I, uh, <laughs> that's a very good way to end it. I, I, I don't want to belabor the point uh, too much further, but I watched this for the first time today, Glenn. Oh and, wow! At, at work, um, and wow. which is not the which is not the best way to watch a movie. But when I say this movie destroyed me, yeah, uh, yeah, I was in tears at my desk, and I'm so glad no one noticed. It's a beautiful, gorgeous movie. I love her performance. Apparently, when she was researching the role, her her father had not passed away yet. She did a lot of research with people who had lost a parent or a loved one. And I think she captures the essence and the longing of grief in a way that a lot of um, other movies or other actors maybe would not have been able to tap into that. And I think it like it says, you know, like Louis said, it, she feels so much that seeing her focus that into this one emotion. And I think, you know, it's really telling at the beginning when she's her new fiance is telling the story of of how he got her to agree to be engaged with him, where he's essentially sort of wore her down over the process of two years that it, it's one of the things where it's like it's, it's so informative of her character that she's this kind of damaged person. Um, and she has this very telling line later in the film where she, she's talking to her friends and she's like, I don't want to fall in love with Sean again. I don't know how he knows so much about me, but he does. How can I help? I don't want to fall in love again with Sean. You understand? And that's what's happening. And I need you to come and help me, and I need you to talk to him, and I need you to tell him to go away. It's the idea of this love that she lost uh, right, rather cruelly, and- you know, tragically, and just the idea of that soul coming back to, to her is just, it's something almost too hard to bear, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a really, really beautiful movie, and... Uh, yeah, and I I don't know why it was maligned so much because it 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 is I don't know it, like you said it's it's a lot especially once you get towards the end it's a lot less literal than I think people gave it credit for so yeah and it, and there's also of course you can't really talk about this movie without talking about the opera scene which is this yeah. just long take of just her face where yeah she goes through so many different emotions and they each register but it's not. You know, it's all very subtle. It's all very so beautifully played, and I just think it's uh, yeah. I, I when I was watching this, uh, rewatching this last night, yeah, I found myself very uh, overcome with emotions yet again, like I do every time mm. that I watch it. Mm. And the so score, beautiful. the score, my I, god, it's so good. Oh my god, I will go next. Uh, there were a lot of movies that surprised me at how much I enjoyed them. Um, I and I, and she surprised me in a lot of different ways. 
um, movies I had not seen before. But, you know, I'm going to be that girl. And I have to pick Moulin Rouge. I knew you were going <gasps> to do this. I have to. I mean, one of us had to, Gavin. I'm laying myself down for the community. Okay? We all can't choose cool indie picks like birth. Okay? If I wasn't um, recording this at my house, I would storm out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Storm right into my own house. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much more to say about Moulin Rouge. I think we all know what Moulin Rouge is. But what I will say is uh, when I first watched it, uh, my, I think this movie is, is a, a thing, a, a force that like someone will watch it and they'll fall in love. And then they like want to share the love that they feel with someone else. And that's how this movie found me. Um, an aunt who lived uh, out of town came, like was visiting and she told my mom, have you seen this movie, Moulin Rouge? And like, we didn't go to the movies often and, uh, she put it on for us. And, um, I remember we got it on, on, um, on like Blockbuster, I guess DVD. And I kind of was like sitting in the living room and we were all watching it. And I was just like, it was, uh, what it's one of those things that like, you see a movie when you're young and you're, you, you kind of realize, oh my God, I have so many emotions like that this movie is making me have. Um, and I remember like snatching that DVD and going into my room and rewatching it over and over again. Um, the musicality, um, see, and, and, and Nicole Kidman is fully like she gives, she paints with all the colors of the wind. Okay. So she, she gives you the, I mean, I will never forget the scene of her. Uh, when she's trying to seduce Ewan McGregor. Yeah. The classic, you know, a uh, miscommunication. And she's like asking him like, Oh, I, I love a good poet. And she's giving you like, full <laughs> it's, it's so fucking funny. Um, you know, you have fucking John Lugazamo talking about his huge talent. Is this okay? Is this what you want? Oh, poetry. Yes. 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 This is what I want. Naughty words. <laughs> oh, I, I don't. <gasps> I don't have much money, but oh, I'd buy if I did. Yes. I'd buy a big house where we both oh, could him. live. Oh, oh. So if I were a sculptor, Wonderful. but then again, no. Or a man who, who makes potions oh. at a traveling show. Oh, don't, 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 don't stop. I know it's not much. Give me more. Yes, 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 yes. But it's the best oh. I can do. Naughty. And then the moment when he finally like starts singing the song and she like kind of snaps out of it and she realizes, Oh fuck, am I already falling in love? Um, it, and, and, and it's like to go from that and to the very end where it's like, she's desperate for this love, desperate for, you know, her career, uh, fighting illness, fighting men, like doing everything it takes, um, to live the life she wants to live. It's, kind of insane it's 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 fully a, a spectacle and uh i don't know it like hit me like a ton of bricks and i've seen it 10 billion times now yeah. um if you can go watch a fun sing-along at the alamo draft house please <laughs> do go uh if you can get an affordable ticket to go see it on broadway i hear she gave it two thumbs up so uh and we know about her long fingers so. yeah and we do know about her long fingers uh but yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean yeah. i mean i just i was you know i joked before about how shocking it is someone would choose Moulin Rouge, but it is sort of <laughs> just, it is sort of like the 600 pound gorilla or something, I guess, so to speak, yeah, of her career. Yeah. It's, it's the one that sort of encapsulates her star power as well as her, yet yeah, her unique ability to, to meld drama and comedy. Um, and 
Yeah, it's just such a, I mean, like I've said multiple times, I saw this maybe eight times at the cinema. It's just such an experience. Yeah, I, I mean, she's singing, she's dancing. I think her and Hugh McGregor have a really, like, beautiful romantic thing. Like, I believe their romance. Yeah. It's sexy to a fault. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, uh, I, and, and you also, like, I love the whole thing. Like, there's Nini, who's, like, the bitch who's, like, whatever. She's just whatever. But I believe Satine would stop a show. I believe her as this woman who um, they would build an entire theater for to put in a, a showcase um, and she's able to, you know, she's, what I love about her is that she's able to, uh, this character is, she's working hard for her dream, you know, right. and she's, she's a sex worker, you know, and she, um, knows what it's like to, uh, put her entire life in the hands of someone else for her, um, benefit for things that, you know, she wants and she is trying to achieve. And, um, you know, it's, it, yeah, I mean, the movie's heartbreaking and beautiful and, uh, and also, like, I can't imagine Baz Luhrmann was like, hmm, let's make this movie Australia. Like, the, Australia was, like, the trying to, like, recapture this magic right. of the epic of, uh, Moulin Rouge. And, um, you know, didn't quite stick the landing. But, <laughs> uh, you know, after Moulin Rouge, that, I mean, it's like, a lot of people say it's like the best original movie musical in, like, the past 25 years. Uh, and uh, th- that kicked off so many other movie musicals yeah. that um, followed it. Uh, yeah, and I just cannot get enough. And I'm 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 sure there are lots of um, smarter and more eloquent people who have said so many beautiful things about the movie and her and her in it. She just truly is a fucking star in it. The moment you snatched that DVD and went into your room to, w- to watch it again, yeah. somewhere Baz Luhrmann was like, "Got him, got, got him." Where, where were you when you watched uh, um, Moulin Rouge and you became queer? Okay, yeah. we've all been Every there. Time the disc spins in a DVD player, a queer gets its wings yeah. or something. A gay is born. Yeah. So mine is, and I'm probably gonna get uh, you know slack for being basic for this, but I'll be honest. I you know I think there's been movies that have surpassed this that she's really great in. I think she deserves her Academy Award for the hours. And uh, but uh, I love. To Die For from yes. 1995. Yes. It's a great one. All my heart. I've, everything about it. And she, you know, uh, we've talked about it, but just real quick, uh, you know, it's it's loosely based off the Pamela Smart story, but also a novel by Joyce Maynard. Um, it's uh, the screenplays by Buck Henry, who's a fucking legend. He wrote The Graduate. Uh, Gus Van Sant yes. directed it. Um, did not want Nicole Kidman for this role. Um, you know, uh, I think it was Meg Ryan who was attached they, to it. They, and- they, I think he said they, they inter- or not interviewed, but auditioned Ellen DeGeneres, yeah. Meg Ryan. Uh, Meg Ryan got the role and then turned it down. They were going to pay her five million. They only had to pay Nicole Kidman two million. Nicole, I mean, Nicole wow. famously called him and yeah. said, I am this woman. Yeah. She found his home phone number. Yep. Um, it all. She talked to him for 40 minutes. Two hours later, he called her back and was like, you got the role. Yeah. Without any audition, like face to face time at all. Um, Queen. But, uh, as I mentioned, she's, she's a, she's like, uh, she apparently some people have like armchair diagnosed her because you can't really diagnose somebody if you're not, if they're not your patient with narcissistic personality disorder. But she's a, she's a small town girl who has big aspirations. She eventually works her way up to doing. She's a wannabe journalist. Yeah. She wants wannabe journalist. She starts doing weather hits at a local station. She marries, uh, Matt Dillon in hopes that he's gonna like carry her on in his life and he's like babe slow down let's have a baby I yeah. want to think about my career she's like uh uh-uh, uh fuck that decides to get 
a bunch of wayward teens, one whom she's fucking, to kill him. Yep. The one that she's fucking is Joaquin Phoenix, who's yep. also amazing in this movie, um, as like disaffected, like burnout. Um, and, uh, she almost gets away with she it. She almost sure the fuck did. Yeah. And that's, I don't want to say too much more, but like every, first of all, everybody else that's in the movie is really amazing. Uh, Ileana Douglas, Wayne Knight, Kurtwood Smith playing her father, Dan Hedaya playing Matt Dillon's father. Yeah. Um, you know, she was nominated for a BAFTA and a Golden Globe, uh, for this movie. Uh, and just, I don't know everything about her performance. It's so manufactured and manicured. She has all these like direct to camera monologues. Yeah. Uh, Gus Van Sant's. It, it, some people call this a mockumentary. I I don't think that's fair because it's almost like a fantasy documentary because the her stuff feels like it's otherworldly, almost yeah. like she's delivering you monologues she's from the afterlife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and uh, she like. The way it's edited and put together, one of my absolute favorite moments in the film is when her husband is killed, uh, you know, she's on TV and she's delivering, yes. she knows it's happening yes. and she's delivering this message, you know, like, oh, good, good night, you know, to it's him. He's going to have a good weekend and, uh, yeah. Yeah, have a good night. And, but also there's a real quick cut to her from her interstitials of just like looking blankly down and just looking at the contrast of the television version of this character and the real version of this character who might maybe somewhere deep inside feel just a tiny bit bad right. that her ambition was more important than the life of her husband. Right. It's really brilliant. And then obviously all the stuff that occurs in the film, the, the lampooning of, of American fame, she gives an amazing monologue about how you're no one if you're not on TV. Yeah. You're not anybody in America unless you're on TV. On TV is where we learn about who we really are. Because what's the point of doing anything worthwhile if nobody's watching? And if people are watching, it makes you a better person. I don't know. It's it's all pitch perfect. And it feels more and more prescient yeah. every yeah. year. Um, it, yeah. It's, 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 it was probably one of the most satisfying watches I had for this episode. The funny thing is, is she said in order to prepare for the role, this is 95, she stayed in bed for three days watching reality television. What was the reality television back then? Anna Nicole Smith? Yeah, know. yeah, like, what? But she said she said she found it all highly fascinating. I bet. Girl, that's, a, that's an excellent pick. Um, I have a, uh, the, my pinned tweet on my Twitter profile is a screenshot of this movie of Nicole Kidman on a TV set, and, with, and I've written above it, how I wish my TV looked all the time. So I think that's <laughs> absolutely. I think that sort of demonstrates how much that's I a, like that's this movie. Yeah, and, and, and am this, I wrong, this... or did this win the Kidman Cup on Twitter? Oh, I, I remember... believe it did. Yeah, yeah. for um, Guy Lodge. Uh, Guy Lodge. Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is there anything else that you know tickled your fancy? I've I've got a couple, but I won't belabor right. the point too much. I want the only one I'm going to mention uh, for time's sake is uh. The Railway Man, men? Oh, really? I saw that, and I, I, it's, it's one of like the two movies she made with Colin Firth, and, uh, it's, uh, she, and this is the most subdued I've ever seen her. She's truly stripped away. She's supporting, he is the star of the movie or the protagonist. I've never seen her at this, um, very low level, uh, of performance before, but it was like still very, you know, like she's, she's a concerned wife and loves this man. 
um, and is trying to just be this like uh, guide to this uh, person who has all this internal strife. Um, and she looks, uh, I've, I've never seen her look the way she does. Um, and so I know it's a lesser known movie of hers. It's not super old. Um, yeah, it's only a couple of years old. Yeah, I, it's I an say Australian it's, movie as well. Yeah, yeah. and I want to say it's uh, in it's in uh, it might be on Amazon Prime. It might not be, but uh, either way, I I, I recommend that one. It, it's a a complete you know departure, and it just also like shows the range she has. It's incredible. The only other one that I don't think we really talked about, uh, but which I I considered was Dogville. Um, oh, yeah. The Lars von Trier film set on a soundstage that's three hours long and it's a parable about contemporary America and all of that fun stuff that Lars von Trier does. Okay. Um, I really, I really liked uh, that one. I was a, both Birth and Dogville, I was able to drag people along to see with me at the wow. movies. I know, right? <laughs> um, I don't, I can't remember what they thought of them, but um, I loved them <laughs> and, uh, Dogville is, it has an interesting part because in her career, because she, she was making it when she won the Oscar for the hours and uh, she's in interviews saying that, you know, she won the Oscar and then uh, literally a day later she had to fly out to Denmark to like act wow, out this really, yeah, this really, <laughs> stri- this really strenuous performance, this very physical, uh, draining performance. And I think that's, it's sort of like a, uh, an, a pivot point for her career because then she did sort of decide to maybe not. Uh, it's like that's. I think she met Keith Urban not too long after that. Mm. Um, we didn't also mention she dated Lenny Kravitz, which is kind of hilarious. Oh yeah, I did, I did forget about it. it. Was yeah, and it was it was like a year, but like I I do I forgot about that. Yeah, that's and what an interesting pairing. The only one I wanted to mention real quick, and we because we are going long, um, is Jane Campion's Portrait of a Lady. Uh, I it's not a really I feel like it was reviewed so poorly, which is insane because it's so beautiful and so gorgeous. And I think her performance is really great. And I think when you look at it in a modern context, it's so funny because I read Roger Ebert's review and he was basically like, like Henry James rates women so much and Jane Campion knows so little about women. And I just, (laughs) that's what it felt like. And it's just like, I think if you look at the, the way the role's been tailored towards Nicole Kidman and the the performance she gives, it feels like a, a very modern uh, spin on that tale and just you know it's a two and a half hour movie that doesn't feel like two and a half hours but i think that's also because the supporting cast is so great and everything but yeah well that's sort of a film that is very indicative again of her whole career it's very daring uh very female oriented work that maybe was too ahead of its time yeah absolutely classic nicole um classic nicole oh. Well, real quick before we move into our fast forward let's do our mixed reviews review my one-star review was Billy Bathgate. My one-star review was 2007's The Invasion. Mine was 2003's The Human Stain. And my five-star review was 2004's Birth. My five-star review was 1995's To Die For. And mine was 2001's Moulin Rouge! Exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> All right, let's move into our fast-forward. So we're talking about Nicole not only because she is an icon legend star... But the Goldfinch is out this week, later this weekend. Yes. Um, Same weekend as Hustlers. I know. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, It doesn't appear to be getting many great reviews. I was nervous initially because the trailers made it look like 
you know, extremely close and incredibly loud or incredibly oh, loud and yeah, extremely close, yeah, which yeah, is a, yeah. which is a movie I hated so much that I didn't even really mention in the Santa Bullock episode. Uh, but, very uh, good, very good. The, uh, yeah, I, Glenn, do you know anything about the gold? I know it's based off of a very famous novel and. Yep. I have not read the book. Uh, yes, the reviews aren't particularly great. I think she sort of has a smallish role. I don't think she's in it yeah, a lot. Think... Um, yeah, no, nothing really about it. Is, I mean, it's got Ansel Elgort, so I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, enough said. And and future star Finn Wolfhard. God, <laughs> sure. Um, if you insist. Yes. <laughs> if Ryan Murphy insists. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's even a headline in you know the Muse by Jezebel, which just everyone already hates the Goldfinch. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but you know, I actually still I would probably still see it. You know, the the only thing that I I think keeps me from seeing a Nicole Kidman movie is if I'm like completely disinterested in it. Mm-hmm. So like maybe maybe I'll see it, you yeah, know. Jeffrey Wright's in it. Yeah. Um the uh She's also right now working on another HBO series um with Hugh Grant, I believe. Yes. Called The Undoing. Um I have no idea what it's about, but <laughs> um HBO is pumping out these, you know, prestige things Know, and she seems to really like working for them. I, we didn't mention it before, but she did a movie with them called Hemingway and Gellhorn. Oh, right. Uh, so she has like this pretty good working relationship with HBO. Yep. And I think, you know, she's just going to keep pushing that out there if, if, if she can. There's also the, the Fox News movie Bombshell in which she plays Gretchen Carlson. Um, and that teaser trailer came out earlier this year, or like a month ago, in fact. Uh, and, you know, it's her, it's Margot Robbie, it's Charlize Theron in complete drag. Like, yeah, full, yeah, full, 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 full Megyn drag. Kelly drag. The most terrifying drag. Um, <laughs> I, I've been in a room with her before. <laughs> yeah, so you know. So you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, I'm interested to see how that goes. I don't know if I ever would have thought of Nicole Kidman for Gretchen Carlson, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Right, I read But that, would you it, have considered Naomi Watts for Gretchen Carlson? I because know. There, there we go. <laughs> in one of the, the strangest in a long line of bizarre friendship like uh-huh. para- uh, casting parallels between those two. They play, both play the same character in two different projects. It's wild. Do, do you think Naomi Watts, like, like she, you know, she gets off the phone every night when Nicole, and she's like, good good to hear from you, and then, like, opens up a cabinet, and it's just all these pictures of Nicole yeah. with her eyes crossed out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the, big of a role that um, Gretchen Carlson's character is right. in the movie. And also not. the tone of that teaser yeah. was almost like, is this an SNL skit? Yeah, like, I mean, it's it, it truly that. And also like the, the logo and the, the title card for the movie. It feels like, is this going to be just like a campy thing or is right. it like actually because Roger Ailes ruined a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever. Well, um, did, my, it looked to me like it was kind of going for the big short look. Uh, oh, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. Satire, but is it really sort of idea? Right. Yeah, and it's, it's satire, but also life is sad. <laughs> yeah, uh, excuse me while I go vomit. <laughs> um, and the only other thing that's listed on her IMDb is that she was announced to be in the prom, which is fully oh. just like Ryan Murphy's friends get together to remake a musical that had to close on Broadway because he has to feed Netflix some with some stuff. <laughs> it's funny because I actually just saw uh, the prom on Broadway before it closed, and 
Uh, my favorite thing about that, uh, about the movie version, besides the fact that it's Ryan Murphy, whom I hate, um, is that, uh, it's completely miscast. She, and I, and I hate to say this because I don't want to sound like the disgusting person, but like, it's one of the few times where I'm like, all the women are too old to play their roles. All the men are like, they're cast opposite. Like, they cast the straight one as the gay one and the gay yeah. one as the straight one. Yeah. It's so weird. Keegan Michael Key is too young. Too to, young uh, to play the, the, the principal. principal. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, playing the lead like the beth level um character no nicole kimmon yeah no that is um meryl meryl streep is n- yeah. meryl streep is playing okay well yep. well okay okay <laughs> okay ryan <laughs> but yeah so like that'll be an interesting thing to see i'm very curious about a lot of the ryan murphy netflix stuff even though i can't really stand him i mean that trailer came out for the political show and i was just like ugh, like yeah. Uh, the, where camp goes to die. When the prom comes out, like, Hollywood will implode on itself. It's like, oh, you didn't get a call for the prom. <laughs> <laughs> so what it, What are probably our final thoughts on Nicole? I, I do want to say, re, trying to rewatch as much as I can, I, you know, I, I love how committed she is to giving a performance, be it, you know, over the top and I, or, or, you know, real cold and icy. Um, she, and she does have those ones. I know as much as that, that was her, uh, reputation for a while, but there are some, you know, one of the things I love about the others is that she gives this very cold performance, but that's where, where that character needs to be. That character needs to live there. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, I think more than any other, and we've done some really great actors on this show, but I think maybe more than anybody else we've done, her range is is just so impressive. Yeah. And I don't know if there's anything that she couldn't do. She is actually the one person who could maybe be like, I can play any tree. And I'd be like, you can. You can play you that can. tree. <laughs> and Scarlett Johansson's like, but and she's like, nope, no, no, nope, shut up. Scarlett, I am the tree. <laughs> I'm the tree. Yeah, yeah, I just love that she can go from comedy to avant-garde weird stuff to you know very oscar bait to use a horrible term uh oscar bait drama style films and all within like the same year like yeah. she just yeah. sort of is able to it's... move about with such ease within these genres and even though a lot of people only associate her with very dark and serious stuff um it's it's that's it's that's why when people complain about her being icy and cold and far too serious that's like well actually like she's got no, so many great wrong. comedies and if you watch her in interviews she is so funny yeah it's it's i think it's really misguided and and maybe like you know she does do the grand like period pieces and dramas and stuff but like she is putting on you know full personas i mean we didn't talk a lot about destroyer but like that was a insane performance like i mean the movie's fine yeah but she (laughs) is like fully like give me the makeup give me the full thing i i watched how to talk to girls at parties whatever fucking i i like that movie but i know you're probably gonna no it's a cuckoo it's a full cuckoo movie but she's has an insane accent crazy hair makeup and 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 she is just like so unafraid i love i love that about her oh yeah yeah like the weird david uh, Bowie and Labyrinth, uh, yeah, yeah, inspiration. Very that. It fully feels like she's there's nothing that she wouldn't do. Um, because at, at the end of the other end of that, like, even though Grace Monaco I thought was crazy and like not good, seeing her play Grace Kelly, I was like, holy shit! Like, right. she's 
full American, like, you know, like royalty, like this, like this superstar, like seeing her face that large on a screen. I'm just like, yes, I get like, so she's able to do everything. It's, it's, it's astonishing. It's truly astonishing. And all I want for her is to like, keep making more things for herself and working with other women and, um, lifting up weird or newer, um, filmmakers, because that's also another thing she's, she will go out of her way to work with, um, more like, uh, less popular, less famous filmmakers to, you know, get things done. And I, and I, and I love that. Like, you know, I don't think Karen Kusama could have made destroy without her, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I want more. I always want more. Absolutely. I think that wraps up Nicole Kidman perfectly. Yes. Um, before we go, Glenn, where can we find you on the internet? You self-confessed kid maniac. <laughs> uh, yes, I am on Twitter. Uh, just my name, G L E double M D U N K S. I also write about documentaries for the film experience. And, oh, occasionally I write about other things here or there when I'm not, you know, earning a living. <laughs> there you go. Um, and you can find us online on Twitter at, at the mixed reviews. We're on Facebook at the mixed reviews. You can write us an email at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. Absolutely. We're at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And then you can just like listen to us everywhere. Oh, yeah. Um, We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, uh, just everything. And also, if you could please, on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and a review. We'll read it on the show. We love hearing from you. I have one that's that came in that we need to read, and we'll do it next week. I promise. And yeah. Beyond that, thanks so much, guys, for listening. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Glenn. We um, loved having you here mixing up the reviews with us. Thank you very much. Always remember, our gift is our song. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. One day I'll fly away Leave all this to yesterday <laughs>